Hello everyone and welcome to the Vagabond Actors Podcast. As always, we discuss all things acting related and hopefully we've got some interesting things for you to listen to tonight. My name is Gary Condes. It has not changed since the last time we spoke and I'm talking to you from London. The same with my colleagues here. They have not changed, and I hope they still have. You know of. (laughs) Brian Casp, who is based in Prague, the Czech Republic. Hello, Brian. Please give us more than a monosyllabic hello this time. Ahoj, jak se máš? (laughs) (laughs) Já se mám dobře. (laughs) International. There you go. I just wanted to give a little flavor of my Czech. You certainly did give us a flavor. What did you say? I said, hi, how are you? I am well. <laughs> but it didn't sound that stilted when you said it in Czech. Well, I'm, yeah, well, I'm just nervous speaking English. <laughs> your first language you're nervous with, but your second... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We also have Andrea Helen, who is based in Mallorca, Spain. Hello, Andrea. Hello, everybody. Thank you for the introduction. So, as always, we've got a three-pronged attack in our podcast tonight. We're going to have a little chat about what we've been up to since our last episode, and then we'll get on to a main topic, discussing the challenges and the discoveries and the breakthroughs that we as actors and acting teachers have experienced during our career so far. And hopefully we're able to open that up and and talk about um, a lot of things whether it's business or mindset or craft in relation to that. And then, as always, we'll finish up with a little top tip on things to see, visit, watch, listen to. Um, So, Brian, what have you been up to? Things are starting to trickle back. I mean, how are you feeling about that? Does it, do you feel rusty or are you chomping at the bit? Or have you found that maybe going into that casting, you kind of, it was all a bit strange and it was a bit sort of apart from the social distancing and the the, the limitations, it was just like, oh, back back to normal. I think it's pretty exciting. I am wary of putting too much importance on any one audition, as you should be anyway. But one of the self-tapes that I had this week was for a film that was going to be shooting in America in the fall. And I was thinking, they're not going to be shooting this. I'm. This is not going to happen, this project. And so I am taking a lot of these opportunities as just kind of like you said, it's it's not that I'm rusty, but it's just I like to get back into the swing of things. Just dust it off a little bit. Did you have to do anything particular or are you such a seasoned pro that it all just came flooding back to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't have to do anything in particular. I think it's just the discipline of sitting down and memorizing. Right. Really. Yeah. You know, it's just the discipline of it because if you if you spent two or three months not really doing much of that, then it's kind of a drag in a weird way. And I, I know this shouldn't, I shouldn't be saying this, but it's kind of like, oh, it's work again. I have to do work again. <laughs> and once I start to do it, it's fun and I, and I enjoy it. And certainly shooting the audition was a lot of fun to do and to send it off. And I felt good about doing it, but just the sitting down and going, oh yeah, I've got lines to learn. I've got to, I'm going to shoot this film in a week and a half. I should learn those lines. And that's, and that's work. Yeah. So that part is different when you haven't, when I haven't had to do that for a while. Yeah. Good. 
that's uh you know the floodgates are starting to open and you just gotta you know it's like the sun comes out and you just gotta go swimming and it's like exactly let's get exactly in, let's get in there yeah um, I, know how to swim. I know how to swim but i'm not sure my arms are, are, are up for it yet but I'm- yeah i better stretch a little bit before i get in that <laughs> <laughs> and andrea what have you been up to uh this last week in sunny mallorca we have been doing a few things. I've taken a couple of meetings with um, a really wonderful lady whom I hope to introduce you to soon. I think we're going to be working together on setting up classes down here. And there are some workshops heading this way later this year in October and in December. So as we come closer to those, I'll share those with our listeners. But we're working on plans there. And you? Good, thanks. Yeah, I've... Um... Something particular came up that I started to do with a couple of regular coaching clients of mine, and they just said, can you maybe give us something a little bit different to do? So I sort of assigned them a, a, a sort of an, an exercise, a simple, simple thing where I'm getting them to take a subject and out of that subject, create a point of view about it. And it could be their own point of view, or it could be the opposite of something that they care strongly about and looking at building a character out from that. So, you know, rather than work as we normally do, from a script and reverse engineer back to a point of view, then we're doing the opposite. We're creating a point of view first, then embodying it through improvisation and then scripting it uh, into a speech or even a scene, and then forcing them to think of sort of characterizing it out from a very specific point of view, whether it's religious or cultural or political, or just about your football team, you know, anything but very specific and one thing, you know, they've done a lot of fun, and they've put it on tape, and just a little exercise to want to do something different, but also to really hit home that dialogue comes from a place of feeling that you feel strongly about. And we've talked about point of view in a previous episode um, at length. And it's just about that. It's just about the importance of Anything that you say and do is backed up with a very specific character-based point of view. Did you notice any difference in their fluidity with coming up with adopting a strong point of view after everything? Yeah, definitely. They didn't mince their words. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, for sure. And so I think what's been going on around you know, the world in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it wasn't just focused on that subject, but I think definitely it's had a knock-on effect and people are just cutting mm. to cutting the bullshit and getting straight yes. to the core. Mm. Yes. More pronounced, more fluid, more committed. No doubt an effect of what's been going on. It's giving people mm. a voice. I keep saying in my class, because people are scared of taking risks, you know, and I go, look, if you take the risk and fail, you know, that's not going to be the end of the world. The, the end of the world is going to come from some other place. If we can just look out, <laughs> just look at the news and you'll see it. The, the world's not going to end because you, uh, you yelled at someone in acting class. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you, you know, mm-hmm. you expressed an opinion that was personal. It's, you, you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Feelings come and go. You know, they might yeah, exactly. And they might hit you, but you know what? You will get up. Um, you know, and eventually everything will level out at the stop sign because, Mm. you know, that's called death. So, you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Why don't you You escape? You can't escape it. So open your mouth before you get there. This episode of the Vagabond Actors podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now, look. 
We all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner. And if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, we audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. Today's main topic is about what we as actors or teachers have experienced that has challenged us or discoveries we've made in our work or breakthroughs. There are some challenges that I faced as an acting teacher, but I think the ones that are more meaningful to me are the ones that I've faced as an actor dealing with other actors who I, rightly or not, put on a pedestal and feel like they're the experts and they're the people that know what they're doing and feeling that disparity. I know that when I first started out doing large-scale productions, I really felt, especially being a day player or not a part of the regular group of the cast, you're not at the hotel that they're at. They're having these experiences. It's kind of like the in-crowd. And I really struggled with that quite a bit because I felt like I wasn't good enough or I didn't know what what to do with the, with the people that would come in and they would be the leads in, in the piece. It hits at the most personal and vulnerable parts of me. And so what I've started to do in the last few years is I've started to just ignore that these people are clicky and just participate. And whether that's welcome or not, you know, most of the time it is. Generally, when you're cool, the other people will be cool to you. I was just want to ask you in relation to that, if a student of yours came up to you now and how was having those problems, what would you say? God, that's a really good question. How do you do it? I think actually, you know, when we were talking about confidence mm-hmm. and, and charisma mm-hmm. before, I think it has something to do with that. So it is that you look for ways to insert yourself in the conversation and be a part of it. It sounds like you're talking about balance between involving yourself with people, but not forcing yourself on people. Yeah. Don't be shy about being a part of things, but don't be a dick about forcing yourself to be involved either. And knowing that you're not going to become like besties with any of the people that are there from out of town for the most part. Mm. Or it's going to take a few days. You're not going to do it in a day. And probably even if you had 10 days on a project, you're still, it's still a difference because it's just, there's a different quality to the people that are flown in and the people who are local. And I've been the person that's been flown in and there is a difference between that person and the person that's local. Just because you are looking at the experience in a different way. When you are done for the day, the local person is probably going to go home. The the person who's flown in is probably going to go out. 
and sometimes the the people that are flown in are are welcoming and are like hey let's let's go out and sometimes the people that are flown in are have their own stuff that's going on and so i i think realizing like just because you're local and maybe there for the day doesn't mean you're inferior is is a is a thing but that those are hard questions i think basically i would tell if it was a student of mine, I'd say, Hey, look, go listen to our podcast on confidence and try and, and incorporate, try to incorporate that stuff. And then it won't matter if you're a part of it or not. We forget, we forget how daunting it is. And I know it totally resonates with what you're saying with what I experienced, because one, I never felt I was educated enough because I was, I went straight into the theater. I didn't do film and TV mm. for a long time. So, you know, and this was a, I don't come from a, an artistic background. And so there was always an inferiority complex and, uh, because it's such an educated place, but we forget. Yeah. It's particularly whether it's film or, or theater that, you know, if you're working with actors who are either known or at least known to you in the acting world, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, because it is a, a little family you have to fit into. It is a tribe you have to fit into quite quickly. And it's all sort of, everything is so super heightened. It's not natural. Yeah. And depending on how big the person is, you know, like I've, I've worked with some people who are really big and who are incredibly guarded and who are not going to be your friend and are going to interact with you only because they have to, because that's required for that moment of the job. But otherwise they don't really want to deal with this little person. And even I was talking to people on that particular show who had much bigger parts than I did. And they said they have the same experience that it's not really, you're not really friends with them. So there's some people who are really big, who are really distant. And there's some people who are really well-known and can be quite welcoming and quite friendly and, and will go out with you. I, I, on Carnival Row, I developed a really great relationship with Jared Harris, who, you know, it was before Chernobyl, but, you know, he was still incredibly well-known, but he was incredibly friendly and incredibly welcoming. But at that point, I was also coming into it with more confidence and not so timid, but it's hard to get that feeling. Yeah, and it's accumulative. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's you. You haven't just been um, dropped off by an alien spaceship and gone. There you go, start acting. It's like you've yeah. you've built that up, right? Exactly. So, to my younger self, I would probably say, "Hey, hang in there. Don't take it so personally, or put your head down and just do the work. And what will come will come." That's a good point. Get your head down. Do your work. Don't ignore people, but don't pester people, you know. Exactly. And I think get the work is the thing at that stage because you just got to, you know, observe things and see how the land lies. But the work yeah. you have to do, you have to do the work. The rest is is a bonus. And And find your people. There's going to be other actors on set who are also looking for people to connect with. Right. And for, for a long time, uh, even still, like I'm looking to the other, let's say, supporting characters to make friends with. As the, the actors who are who are coming in doing supporting character stuff, those are the people that they're going to be wanting to talk with people as well. Because they're, you know, if you, that's, that's another thing is if you are an actor, you know, you've been flown in and you're going to spend three or four months in a city that you don't really know anyone, you're going to want to start to connect with people after a while. And if you find someone who is local who seems cool and who seems like, oh, this is a fun hang, then that those are the people that, that I, I like to be friends with those people too, because those are the people that, that I might look at them as like, oh, they're, they're, they're like a step ahead of me in the game. That sounds you know? good advice. 
Find yeah. your people. Find your people. Get your head down yeah. to the work and find your people. Okay. Yeah. So, Andrea, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, anything come to mind in terms of a, a challenge and uh, as a result maybe from that challenge, a discovery or a breakthrough that you've experienced as an actor, teacher? Well, I mean, honestly, I do think that there are many challenges that we've all faced. And at each stage, it seems that you know, certainly in the pursuit of the craft, sometimes the biggest challenges yield the most beautiful results because it really brings you to a point of decision. You know, am I going to go deeper? Am I going to prepare for class more? Am I going to take this more seriously? Am I going to do the thing that's uncomfortable? And if you ask yourself those questions and you come up with it, yes, 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 I'm going to commit to this, then there's some really tremendous breakthroughs that I think can be had. And that, I suppose, is one of the reasons why I love teaching so much, because I've been through so many of the phases and love being a gentle guiding force to help people make their way through those discoveries themselves. And um, when you see the aha moment or when you see them get to the other side of the mountain, it's incredibly um, powerful and rewarding. But, you know, we talked earlier um, about some of the playwrights maybe who've created challenges for us or scenes. And, you know, for different reasons, yes, there are some playwrights that really have been formative for me. Um, certainly Lanford Wilson is, is at the top of my list. I, I, I tend to make music collections for many of my roles. And I just pulled out the CDs the other day from Burn This. So I've got, you know, the pre-show, intermission, post-show. And really, I can listen to any of the pieces and it all comes flooding back to me. And suddenly I'm deep in the piece and it's Anna, not Andrea. I mean, it's really, it's really powerful for me. I spent so much time working on that project and, um, pouring my entire self into it. And I'm very grateful for somebody like Lanford Wilson creating these characters. And, uh, I feel so blessed to take it on. Um, I also had a big phase where I was reading a lot of Eugene O'Neill And, you know, sometimes, uh, we, sometimes people use the word melodramatic to, to talk about his work, but I think I really loved that it was just, it was full on, you know, his, his, his plays are just, you just get right in there and the relationship, there's no diddling about what the relationship is and it's intense and it's controversial and it's going to, it's life or death. And that was inspirational for me to do. To I think there was a good year or so. I just was reading everything I could get my hands on of Eugene O'Neill. And for me, it was a way of exploring that idea of having permission, giving myself permission to go deeply into the work and being reminded that dramatic writing uh, is dramatic. There, these are strong circumstances and um, one should not be afraid to to dive in. Have you done any yeah. Eugene O'Neill plays? No. I worked uh, on some scenes, but I have not done any plays. You look at something like Long Day's Journey in, Tonight, in tonight, and it's yes. like, oh, man. Oh. It's, it's huge. And if you haven't got the chops, you will drown. Mm-hmm. 
And you're right, it demands, it's so demanding. And it's hard to find those in contemporary, that kind of level of dramatic circumstances in, in a lot of contemporary plays. I mean, there are yeah. some, but um, if you don't do that kind of work well, or you haven't got the expansion for it, it can become melodrama. But mm -hmm. to do it well, I think that is one of the ultimate tests for an actor, something like Long mm -hmm. Death Journey, because it's, yes. like you say, 10. You're on a 10 all the way through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were going to talk about uh, an Arthur Miller. Oh, yes. I mean, Arthur Miller, his personal presence is, is, so, is so imbued in his work that I feel like if I, if, I, if I met him, I would just be, you know, like a blathering idiot. <laughs> I feel, <laughs> I feel uh, his presence is so powerful that, uh, that it probably dissuaded me from ever really taking on the play. So, that, so I've always got my eyes on his work and interpreting it. But it was interesting. I would notice this feeling when my students would bring in scenes from one of his plays. And I was, had to say to myself, deep breath, deep breath here. Let's, let's go, <laughs> you know, give them every understanding that you have and you still may not nail every single moment for them, but you know, really take this on. Um, John Patrick Shanley, of course, is, you know, is a big playwright in the Meisner work, certainly because it, to me, it's, there's so much opera in, in his writing and it's, it's just, you know, it's just sort of this magnificent cauldron. And, um, and I directed one of his plays as well. And that was very challenging because of the different opinions about how to stage the piece. And so uh, he, he provided a certain challenge of the will and the, and the willingness to be, um, to, to step out on a limb and say, this is what I believe to me. Shanley, is giving you, again, maybe this is my thread, he's giving permission to be enormous and, and to be moaning and, you know, that moonstruck, right? Snap out of it. You know, it, it's just, I suppose I'm drawn to writers who are fearless in a certain kind of way. Same way that I think that Neil Simon is kind of fearless and in, in a totally different tonal direction, but also, you know, there's, there's a very personal, unique take that he has. And to do it with such economy takes a great deal of guts, in my opinion. And um, so I'm, I'm really drawn to those who I think make me brave. When I spend time with them, they remind me it's going to be okay and the vehicle, the story is large enough to contain whatever I have in me that I'm afraid of releasing because I think the world is going to come to a halt <laughs> if, I, if I release the canons, you know. And you, um, you mentioned you directed a John Patrick Shanley. Which one was it? Dreamer Examines His Pillow. It's not very, very often done, but it's, okay. um, it's a very thought-provoking piece. But what was the challenge? Because, you know, John Patrick Shanley is so idiosyncratically New York. So can you get at what, what was the biggest yes. challenge? Absolutely. Well, the biggest challenge was really over time, and this is why I want to share this, because I think there are, there are plenty of actors who, who have the same hill to climb. And I was looking back, I'm just really quickly, I was looking back through some of my notes from the first couple of years when I started studying the Meisner work to review and to see if there's anything I'd really forgotten about what my challenges were, because I kept at every class, I kept a little bit of a diary entry 
um, about the work that was being done. And so I was just perusing some of those notes from my earlier years. And, you know, I was, I was always toggling between the head and the gut. And if I'd stepped away from the work because I'd been traveling or we'd had vacation or whatever, getting back into it was always about quieting the mind and trusting my deep gut intuition about something and then giving myself permission to release. And I developed that confidence to do that just by going at it over and over and over again. That's really all it is. As you were saying, you know, you've got to do the work. You can't just show up and expect to be able to play Blanche Dubois without having put in a huge amount of time expressing yourself, finding out what your point of view is, being specific, learning how to really look at a script and read it properly and find the activities and find the doings and find the objectives. All of that script work is of the mind, but it's also of the heart and the gut. And, and you cannot exist solely in this intellectual academic space and expect to make it work. It just won't happen. And so I think that my challenges over the years were all really kind of lined up in that, in that regard. Um, recognizing that I had to be inside the thing. I had to be right inside the tornado and it was going to be okay if I did that. So I would say that the, the, for me, the pursuit of a kind of freedom came about through doing it over and over and over again with different playwrights, writing that stimulated me, partners that challenged me because they were great or because they were struggling and, mm-hmm. you know, really monitoring my own internal growth. And that's what, Uh, That's what I love about teaching is helping people to do that for themselves if they're committed to the work. It's, um, it's interesting because you bring up all these fabulous playwrights and, um, you know, (laughs) we're getting older and the original period of these playwrights are receding and, you know, and I mention them to some students and they're like, who's that? And I'm kind of like, wow, really? It's not their fault because, they haven't been introduced to them yet, but it's mm-hmm. like, I wasn't necessarily introduced to them. I sought them out and I thought, death mm-hmm. of a salesman, that's a great, what is that? And, you know, and one thing led to another and, you know, and then other people introduced me in classes and, but, you know, you seek them out. But one particular mm-hmm. sort of challenge that I had as an actor, which in then had a knock on effect and had a bit of a breakthrough and which then it resulted in a discovery was, and we're talking about, again, another great here is, is um, Anton Chekhov. I was in a production of The Three Sisters and um, I played the role of Tusenbach, Baron Tusenbach, right? Fantastic role. And particularly this, the one challenging scene I had was when, if you know it, when he one final time puts Irina on the spot and asks her to run away with him. Um, He knows he's going to the duel to uh, have a duel with Solioni, the crazy crack soldier that is Solioni, and he probably knows that he's going to die because he's not as good a shot as Solioni. Anyway, so he has a possibility of, of avoiding that and running away with Irina if she loves him. But it turns out that she loves him more as a friend than um, as a lover. So it, he, he realizes this. And 
we were, I was always working for this moment because I found it in rehearsal and I was working for this moment in the middle of the scene. And it's one of these classic challenges for an actor. Something has to happen in the middle of the scene. Mm. Uh, and there is a demand there um, mm. or the director imposes a demand. And this was, mm. you know, this was fairly early on in my career. I mean, I'd had a number of years experience, but this is one of the first big plays that I was able to uh, know what I was doing and implement my technique in a way that yeah. I had command over it. Anyway, so there's this big demand. So in rehearsal, I was prepping the hell out of myself and, you know, tying myself up into deep knots and really getting myself emotionally to a place whereby in the middle of the scene where she says, I can't go with you, you know, I break into tears or at least I get very upset and there's tears. And, you know, the first couple of nights First night it happened, second night it happened, third night it happened. I was like, I was like, yes, I <laughs> am it, right? And I was like, that is the holy grail for an actor. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth night, you know, I came on, prepared in the same way, was kind of feeling it but not as much, and that moment came and I was like, hmm, you know, still in it as much as I thought I was. And I was like, where are you? Where are you, fluids? Where are you, tears? Yeah. You know, and it... The menthol out. Exactly. You know, can you... Do you think you'd be able to poke me in the eye without anyone seeing yeah. um, if I turn this way? And <laughs> it, it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And I was like, okay, you know, and I was asking people afterwards, they didn't really notice. But, you know, you know, you can panic a lot inside, but still it doesn't, it seems like you are okay on the outside. And I was like, it's not happening. It's not happening. And okay, did what every actor should do and just say, fuck it, carry on, say the lines in the best way you can and get off. And, and so I stuck with my partner and we, we talked a bit more. And then the next sort of big event in that scene is a few lines later where he takes her to the window and points out the blossom on the trees, it says there are no blo there's no blossom on the trees, and mm -hmm. it's he's, he's looking at the trees where there there's no flowers, and it's all sort of philosophical and about death, and 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 as I was doing that, the tears oh. came. I and knew I like, you were going to say that. I could feel yeah, that. Oh. Yeah, right. And then so I was like, I'm back in the game. I'm back in the game. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> that happened for a couple of nights. And then inevitably, the third or fourth night, I went to the trees and went to the window and the trees and nothing happened. And I was like, mm -hmm. fuck's sake, come on. Anyway, <laughs> so I carried on. And then at the end of the scene, there's a line where he said, he has to, it's brilliant, Chekhov, he excuses himself. And, you know, it sounds trivial, but he, he doesn't say goodbye, I love you, um, I've always loved you, I'm about to die, and think of me always. He doesn't say that. He says, I didn't get my coffee this morning, make sure the servants always remember the coffee. And it's his way of saying goodbye. And goodbye. It, didn't happen, it didn't happen in the middle when she said no, it didn't happen at the trees, but it happened then when I said goodbye. Aww. Right? So, again, three or four days, then that dried up. And then... <laughs> The final. <laughs> how, how many? How long was the run? The run was a few weeks. Okay. Because anyway, um, <laughs> because the scene needs to be. You need to add some dialogue to the scene to get right, it. Right. Exactly. And then you know, the one of the best things was, uh, and, and and this was the funniest thing because what the director said. So you know. All through those three moments, it didn't happen, sort of, you know, and then I got to say goodbye. I turned, and as I turned and walked through the door, you know, no one could see me, but I broke down, and obviously my shoulders went, and and it happened then, you know. And the director said, mm -hmm. that was your best moment. 
10. Of all the ones, that was it. And I was like, yeah, you didn't to see me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so what, 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 what the challenge was, was to maybe hit certain moments that are required by the director or the demands of your choice in relation to the script. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered or my breakthrough was that, you know, you prepare or I prepared and it was the r- first time this really hit me then. It was a real sort of Damascus experience. And it was whether you're feeling it or not when you're preparing emotionally backstage, the moment before, whatever, is I, I found a way of telling myself, it was a bit of a mantra, I have done the work. I've just spent 10 minutes working on deep personal internal preparation. You aren't experiencing it like you did a few days ago perhaps but you have done the work and I kept reassuring it was almost like I'm reassuring myself mm-hmm. and and then you know I went on and it hit me at different times and it's just mm-hmm. you know the discovery which is an age-old thing and is something I know we all teach but it's to to people you know starting out it's a very difficult thing to get people to um, have faith in mm-hmm. and it's just Know, trust the preparation let the preparation meet the moments don't force it and tell yourself you have done the work and mm-hmm. you know and it really hit me what it meant you know and you've all said it in class and you've all had it said to you when it's like it really hit home what it meant to leave your preparation alone mm-hmm. leave it alone and, and mm-hmm. something will happen it was a big deal for me and from there on in yeah. I had an, an a relaxed intensity about my prep Mm. yeah you know i'm reminded of something that a teacher um shared with me one time he was handing me with not even two minutes of preparation really he was handing me blanche dubois and asking me to get up and do this speech and of course you know this panic sort of sets in and he just looked at me and i thought i don't have a choice here i just have to commit really fully to this so i'm just going to sort of fly with this as best i can and it went so much better than i would have anticipated and afterwards we spoke about it and i shared that it was a pretty terrifying piece of dramatic writing to be handed and he reminded me he said, every scene you've ever worked on, every backstage preparation, every piece of literature you've read, all of the thought you've given towards becoming an empathetic, open, engaged, intelligent actor, all of the work that you've done for all of these years does not leave you. It it is right inside of you. And if you even think of it almost as the podium upon which you stand now, you must trust that it's all in you. And so you've done the work. And so why would you not be capable of a great challenge like the one I've just handed you? And that, that visual image of literally bringing along all of my experiences has helped me tremendously, whether it's walking into an audition mm-hmm. or being on set and fighting that sense of, oh, how did, how did I get this job? You, and to just in that moment really take that in and say, it's all with me. You know, everything, every role, every audition, every failure, every struggle, every sobbing my eyes out for years and years and years, it's all in me. And mm-hmm. I just need to honor it by doing the work and then being open. 
but and and you you earn the trust as well. I mean, there's you yes. know you can learn something by reading about it or having someone tell you, but you yes. can understand it by knowing it and mm-hmm. knowing it and experiencing it. There's also a thing with that what you just said, Andrea, which is that. And what you were talking about, Gary, as well, which is the freedom that you get to letting go of Mm -hmm. the need to make it happen, Mm -hmm. right? That you, that if you try to make it happen and you try to force all of your technique onto this delicate flower, you'll crush it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And Gary, when you were talking about your experience doing the Chekhov, it reminded me of a a quote from one of the Stanislavski books, which is like, every night you just have to plant the seed and water it and let the new flower grow. Right. And the flower is yes. going to be different each night. Right. You can't just take that same flower and and have it be there every night. You have to just plant the seed and let it do its thing. But you got to have see what happens. You got to plant the seed. That's that's You got to plant the seed yeah. and you got to have the soil and you got to water it <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. But you can't make it happen. No. But you know what is, one of the funniest things was was as I went through the scene and found my breakdown, if you like, happen mm-hmm. at different places. Once I got to the end of the scene and, you know, I traveled through it, you know, once I got to there, it, I actually came full circle and it happened again for a few more nights where it originally happened. Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, mm-hmm. it worked its way through again. It was like a wave. So yeah. it, fascinating when you get out of the way and something bigger than you happens. Right. That's the beauty of theater though, too, is you, you really are deepening and adjusting and coming to greater understanding. And that begets a kind of freedom and faithfulness in the work. It's a beautiful thing to, to be in a run of a show and to just keep deepening your work. And hopefully you're working with a director who doesn't want to see closing night on opening night and who refuses to make adjustments him or herself. Yeah. And how thrilling must it be for an audience to watch that happen? If it, if you're yeah. surprised at when those moments come, <laughs> they're certainly not going to know, right? And that's probably why you walking out of the room and having it hit you then was the best time because it was the least you expected it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're I mean, like, oh, I'm done. I'm done with the scene. And then all of a sudden it hits you. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Theater is, it allows this a lot more is the, the discovery over a certain amount of time and you can actually penetrate it you know i've experienced actors who after the first week after the excitement of all the hullabaloo of opening night and press night and then the first week where everyone's come to see it they kind of switch off and i'm like no we're just beginning yeah we are just beginning it's like all of that bullshit's out the way now now we can give ourselves over to this juggernaut the other thing that i'm dealing with more nowadays is this feeling that the moment is like this wave and the wave moves at the pace of the person that's driving the scene to a large extent, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you are the big cheese in the scene, if your character's driving it, then you get to feel like I get to either luxuriate in the wave or, I've, or I can really pick up the pace and really like zing it or, or I can do whatever is required of the moments that I need to have happen. I know this is very um, result oriented the way I'm talking about it, but it doesn't have to be that way. Of course, the challenge, I guess, is that I feel like I am not the person driving the scene, that I am simply there to react to what the other characters, which again, this, and this is related to my, my first thing about the inferiority complex. So the, so the thought was, 
I have to support you because I'm here as maybe a guest, or you're here a lot more than me, or you're famous. That is a very tough position to be in. And the learning that I'm doing these days is really saying no to that and being like, I don't care. I'm going to go after what I want in the scene. I'm going to go and I'm going to take my time and I'm not going to be intimidated because you're a star or because you are number one on the call sheet. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and win the scene and take the time that I need. And that's a very challenging paradigm, especially when you couple it with this, you know, maybe you are doing that with a star. And everyone is like, oh, here's the star is here. The star is here. But if I can bring myself to say, fuck that, I'm going to go after what I want. And I don't care who this person is. That helps me to create the space that I need to feel so that I can be riding that wave right. when that happens. It's a tightrope. You know, you're talking about you have to be so aware. Mm -hmm. I mean, prepared in all the other areas, but there's an awareness. Yeah that you really develop and it's an, an expansiveness. I mean, it's interesting you say about driving in and not driving in. It reminds me of, a, I was in a, uh, a production of Hamlet where I played Claudius, uh, directed by um, Tom Radcliffe, who you know. Um, yeah. yeah. And he's the only person I know that has a direct lineage back to Samford Meisner. He trained with Samford Meisner for a number of years. Um, anyway, he directed Hamlet. And the guy who was playing Hamlet he didn't direct him. He directed everybody else absolutely at full tilt so that the actor playing Hamlet had to deal with what was going on. Because if you think about it, Hamlet is trying to work out what the hell's going on in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and, and I thought that was a very novel way of helping the actor not to set anything and truly yeah. in the moment. And he'd give us different directions and go, try this, try this. And the actor playing Hamlet <laughs> had to actually have his wits about him, put, just put his attention on us and deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, that was during rehearsal. Things got a bit more set during performance, sure. but that was an, a very novel way of not directing the lead actor in order mm -hmm. to keep him reactive and responsive. You know, uh, yeah. such a big part where you think I'm Hamlet, I've got to drive this. And he took right. opposite tack. Right. And and it's a paradigm thing too, for me, right? Because if you go into it thinking, oh, that this is their scene, they're going to drive it, then you're kind of losing the battle anyway. But at the beginning, you, you come in and you don't want to screw it up. You don't want to be the guy who comes in and just like, oh, I'm throwing my weight around. And then they're like, actually, why don't you just leave? Because we don't want that. You know, you, you come in and you're serving them. And so that's been a real paradigm shift for me and a real challenge to uh, to feel like, no, I can come in and I can be like, no, I'm taking this. I'm I'm giving you, I'm giving you a run for your money. I'm gonna make you work for it at least. You know, right. which which they want in a scene. You don't want to have a scene where you're not challenged. There's challenges on many levels when you're doing a role. The challenge of the role itself, but then there's a challenge of the director, then there's the challenge mm -hmm. of actors then there's a challenge of the day then there's the you know there's so many challenges yeah uh, and and i think what you're humbly talking about there over many years is is a, a realization but you see all of those years that you have experienced and that you've worked on is all sort of there as andrea mentioned earlier yeah exactly there. and it's you know confidence if you like 
uh, and expansiveness, you cannot cheat it. There is no shortcut to it. You know, um, yes, maybe you have a certain confidence, but it's also a knowingness. You're also talking about, it seems to me, of uh, a recognition and a knowingness of how to best fit in and serve the situation uh, so that you get the best out of it, but at the same yeah. time, everyone else does too. Yeah. You know, which is, which yeah. is, which is, you know, you can't teach that. And you, you, if you start to talk about that, I believe in the beginning, people get into their heads about so many things. And like you said, become result orientated and try tricks to get themselves there. But, you know. Yeah. That- I think the main thing that people should do is just put your head down and do the work. Yeah. You know, the work, if you do the work and you come in prepared, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, you'll find it, it really comes down to that. People will talk to you if you are professional and you're pretty good. They'll go, Hey, that's right. Hey, I mean, I, yeah. I really exactly. like what you did there. Where, what, what, yeah. you know, it's like, what were you doing? Well, you know, mind your own business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was actually talking with my students where we were doing a scene where it was a fight. The couple was breaking up and some people were reluctant to have the fight or they were upset because they're like, well, we're going to break up. And I was like, yeah, that's how it's written. You need this conflict because you need to be able to get together at the end of the movie. The challenges are what makes it fun. If there wasn't any challenge, if there wasn't any conflict, it wouldn't be as enjoyable as it is. You wouldn't be able to celebrate the wins because it would all just be bland and kind of like, oh yeah, like everything's working for me. So, you know, whatever, like, yeah, the challenges hurt and it hurts to have those lessons sometimes. And it, and it feels bad to feel like, oh, I just screwed that up or I, you know, maybe I didn't prepare as much as I should have. And so that day of work or that scene didn't go as well as it could have, or, you know, maybe that moment that I thought was going to happen didn't happen and that sucks. Or, you know, this part that I was looking forward to working on so much, it feels like it's, I, it's over my head and I really have to work more and I don't think I'm going to get it. Like that's what keeps us alive. And you listen to any interview with established actors and they talk about the part when they know they should take a part when they're scared by the possibility of doing it. You right. know, and that's that's the thing. That's what they're talking about is they're talking about the challenge and not knowing whether it's going to work or not. And that's how you grow as an actor. And it's the same. Absolutely. That's how you grow as a human being, you know, overcoming challenges. And that is actually the core of drama. Obstacles getting in the way and you surmount them. That's the challenge. And that's yeah. why it's brutal. You know? So it's all sort of, it's all many layered matrix yeah. of challenges. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. As a little bookend to the podcast, what have you guys been up to in terms of things that have um, spoken to you, moved you, wowed you in terms of maybe performances, music, art since we last spoke? So we're we're taping this in early June, and uh, Santa Monica was the scene of some peaceful protests followed by looting and. Hundreds of people got together, uh, engaged fine artists living in the area, and they went to all of these boarded up 
businesses and started painting these beautiful murals and works of art. And that was the thing that moved me this week. So sometimes a piece of plywood can become quite a, quite a beautiful canvas. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. And uh, Ryan? I rewatched The Usual Suspects. Wow. Just oh, recently. Oh, yeah. And man, that those performances are fantastic. Mm-hmm. The characterizations are great. And really just the way that it's constructed is so masterful. And I I remember when when my friends and I, we were in college and we went and watched it in the theater and then came back to our house that we were sharing and just discussed it for hours about <laughs> what was real and who was who and how much did he make up and how much was it. Um, but it's just masterful storytelling and just not a dull moment and so wonderfully done. So I, I really enjoyed rewatching that. Yeah, sounds great. I I need to watch that again. I haven't I've only seen it the once when I watched it, but I totally I had no idea what was going on. I mean, not that I wasn't confused. I just didn't see it coming. I mean, and what's great is yeah. you watching it a second time and knowing where it goes is you get to you get to see all the little hints which are not which are very subtle. Mm-hmm. If you they're very subtle, but there's cuts to characters in that movie that that if you're watching it you go, "Oh, I see what's really going on here." But they don't overplay it just so in the zone, it feels like. Yeah, it's a good, it's a very collection of of actors. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Gary, what about you? Anything that you've seen to recommend? Yeah. Uh, I've been reading some plays actually every now and again I you know feel guilty about not reading enough plays because I'm glued to uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix and what <laughs> shows which you know I love and you know that's you know it's our work right but mm-hmm. every now and again I I've got to read. I've got to be. I've got to read. I've got to get back to the source and read proper plays where things are dripping with circumstances and all the rest of it. We've been talking about a lot of. Uh, you know, big playwrights, which are challenging. And there's one playwright, a British playwright, because I tend to gravitate a lot to the American playwrights, particularly the ones we've mentioned, uh, because there's always a lot of great relationship-based plays and also the European classics like Ibsen, Strindberg, Chekhov, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, British, there's some great ones. I mean, Pinter is one of my favourites. But yes. um, in comparison, a lot of British have been some of the comedies are great and all the rest of it, but there's they'd be overtly political or their sort of state of the nation type plays and yeah, I kind of gravitated more to sort of relationship type plays. And and one of the playwrights who I've not been able to get an angle on, and I'm maybe thinking of directing something in the future of his, is a playwright called Martin Crimp. I don't know if you've heard of him. You know, you'll get the press calling him sort of he's a practitioner of quote, in-your-face school of contemporary British drama, although he rejects that label and I think it's a bit lazy. But he's notable for his caustic and acerbic dialogue, which is a bit cold and it's very dry and and it's the tone of emotional detachment and it's kind of bleak in terms of human relationships. And um, none of his characters experience a lot of love or joy. So it's quite bleak. And he's also more latterly with his plays, as I've read, he's gone through his collection of, of he's concerned with theatrical form as well uh, and, and narrative. So he messes with that. So as an actor, 
it's very tricky to act and yeah. it's not natural dialogue mm. and it's very high you really do have to understand what's going on underneath it needs penetrating mm-hmm. and you know talking about challenges if anyone wants to have something a bit more complex to work on or have a go on then i recommend a you know a, a martin crimp um play um so that's what i've been reading making it difficult for myself (laughs) good i'm writing that down right now great well if you guys want to share some challenges that you've faced and overcome or that you're still facing or uh, some successes that you'd like to share with us definitely let us know at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook, or you can uh, find us on Podbean where we have our our little webpage, or leave comments on iTunes or Spotify. Just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're working on and what, you're, what challenges you're facing and overcoming uh, in your work. In the meantime, you can find us on social media. Andrea, where can people find you on social media? Twitter, I am at Andrea underscore Helene and on Instagram at Andrea Helene three. And Gary? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Gary Condes, but you're better off going to my website, GaryCondes.com and and pinging off an email on the uh, contact page. There you go. And I am findable on Twitter and Instagram and I have a Facebook page and I am Brian Casp with an I and an E at the end of CASP. So definitely get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're working on. And uh, until next time, when we will discuss some other aspect of the acting business, um, take care and uh, and be well. Thanks very much for listening and uh, take care and goodbye, folks. All right. Thank take care. you. Bye. Bye.